you're listening to the Whitewater Podcast. First off, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Hey, friends and family, so glad you joined us today for part two of our series called The Journey. Purpose of this series, again, is to help you see God's heart for you and our church, have a vision for a life changed by Jesus, and for you to know the next step on your spiritual journey. You know, and this is our discipleship path or class. We've kind of condensed it a little bit for this series as a whole church, and it's to help us toward growth, maybe leadership, and even membership if you're interested. Now, we're a church that's centered on the life and teachings of Jesus. This means that Jesus is our model and our message. And Jesus is the lens by which we look to understand our purpose in this world. And there's four important areas of life that we look to Jesus to illuminate. Where do I belong? Who and what do I believe? Who am I becoming? And how am I created to be a blessing to my world? So we'll be taking the next few weeks to look at how Jesus' life and teachings help us approach these four areas, belonging, believing, becoming, and blessing. We looked at the story of the prodigal son last week as the primary teaching for this series. The story is about two sons and their father. And if you remember, one son runs from home, wastes his inheritance, comes to his senses, and then returns home to the embrace and forgiveness of his father. Now, the older son hears of his shameful brother's return, and he refuses to go into the party to restore and celebrate his lost brother's homecoming. The final scene ends with the father pleading for the older son to come in to the joy of restoration. Now, Jesus is teaching us all about the love of his heavenly father in this story, a love that pursues and forgives the runaway and allows us to belong before we believe. Jesus is also teaching us about the way of bitterness and religion, forcing people to change and believe before they can belong. We often think this story about the prodigal son is just like about one journey, and really it's a story about two journeys. Now, I'd like us to look at two clear journeys Jesus teaches us about, the journey of the older brother and the journey of the younger brother. Now, the younger brother's journey, he runs away from home, runs away from his family. And and then eventually it says he comes to his senses and runs back. And I think many of us have run away from God and his family, much like this younger son. We've walked the path without faith, without religion. Maybe we've never been considered ourselves a part of God's family. We're just like these runaways doing our own thing. We want God to stay away and we want to do our own thing. So we've run this path of being lost, broken, in sin, and yet the Father calls us home, always calls us home, always is waiting for us. Now, the older brother's journey is a little different, but a little the same too. Remember, the older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. And when his father begged him to go in, he's like, you know, I've slaved for you. I've done all these things. And this son of yours did all this stuff. And he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with your son or you. And this reveals something really, really important about the older brother's journey. The older brother reveals that he doesn't love the father. He just wants what he can get from the father. 
he's actually the same as the younger brother who ran away and didn't want a relationship with the father. The only difference is that he hid behind this mask of acting like a good son in order to get the life that he felt he deserved. Does that sound familiar? He had no love for the father. He was just earning what he wanted from him. This is the way of religion, where people live kind of like those bouncers we mentioned, judging others while hiding their own problems and their families and their churches and their inner lives, all the while trying to earn the life they feel they deserve from God. Notice that the father still runs out to him and says, son, 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 wake up. This brother of yours who was lost is found. He was dead. Now he's alive. We have to come celebrate that. Come come create family together. Let's restore your, your brother needs you. And he's he's trying to break him out of that pattern that um, of religion that says, I'm going to earn what I want and other people have to earn their way back in. It's not fair. No, we're going to be a restoring family. And the father runs out to both sons on both those journeys. There are two paths, the younger and the older brothers, the religious and the non-religious path to God. We have to see the love in the father for both lost sons. He waited and he pursued. He waited and he pursued both sons in his love. Remember what the father said to the older son. Look, dear son, you've always stayed by, by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so it is with our community. We want to stand with the Father looking for lost brothers and sisters, ones who are maybe non-religious and have no religious background. And we also look for those who are very religious and they live within the boundaries, they live within the walls and they build the walls and they make their lives look good and they determine or try to determine who's in and who's out. And the Father blows through all that and says, I want all of you here with me. That's the kind of community that we're building together. In this story, belief is turning toward the Father, turning toward God, turning toward Jesus. It's about a relationship. Remember, the, one, the, the young son finally came to his senses and returned home. Maybe some of you need to turn toward the Father. Maybe some of you need to return back home to the Father and be embraced and welcomed into the family by the father. Not so that the father knows that you're his son or that you're his daughter, but so that you know that you're his son or daughter. I think this story forces us to ask, who are we becoming? And I'm, am I becoming the younger brother? Ungrateful, selfish, broken, unloving, maybe finding my way back home? Am I becoming the older brother? Bitter, selfish, unforgiving, resentful, and maybe overly religious. And finally, am I becoming more like the Father? Am I becoming more loving, more compassionate, and forgiving? So let's talk about becoming. In verse 21 of this story, the son says to him, the runaway son who comes back, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Like, underline that if you got your Bible. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Now look at the Father's response. 
But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. All these are symbols of being a son, being a family member, being a child of the father. Verse 23, and kill the calf we have been fattening because we must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Notice he says, this son of mine. The runaway son says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father says, this son of mine, claims him as his son. Now, the reality of becoming in this passage centers on two crucial callings, the calling of being a child and the calling of being a steward. Now, notice this, the father gives this second son both callings of sonship or being a child of God and being a steward. Let's contrast the identity of both the older and the younger son with how the father sees their identity. Remember, the younger son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, to which the father replies, this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. And then remember the older brother or the older son saying, all these years I've slaved for you and I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. I've slaved for you. He's saying, I'm, he sees himself as a slave. But then the father reminds him who he is. The father says, look, dear son, everything, <laughs> everything that I've had is yours. You have access to it all. You're my son. So how do these sons see their identities? The one son coming back from brokenness and shame sees himself as a, basically a slave who has to earn his way back in to the family. And then the other son thinks of himself as having slaved away for years and years, and then he deserves more than the other brother. So he doesn't see himself as like a son who's been given everything. He sees himself again as a son who has to earn everything. Both sons think of themselves as having to earn their identity to become sons. But being a child of God can only be given, never earned. Now, I want you to think about your life and what can we learn from the journey of the younger son and the older son, the journey of the non-religious person who maybe has run from God and is coming back and maybe feels shame and sin, and, and then the older brother who's very religious, like, and believes everything has to be earned and is angry and judgmental of the, of, the, of the brokenness of the younger son. Sometimes it takes a long journey to find out our calling as beloved children of God. Where do you find your identity? Does it have to be earned or is it given? Do you find like your identity in being a son or daughter of God? Or do you find it in maybe what you do or what people have said about you? This is a great quote from Henry Nouwen. Spiritual identity means we are not what we do or what people say about us, and we are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. What a great quote. It reminds us that what we do flows out of who we are. And so often we want to like go the other way. We like define ourselves by what we do so that we can gain the identity that we want. We are all sons and daughters finding our way home. And what we do flows from who we are and whose we are. Now, every good father wants all of his kids, all of his family to embrace their gifts, their strengths, 
you know, their unique perspectives, to become uniquely themselves, to have unique callings. And when we embrace our identity as children of God, we enter into like this unconditional love. But out of that, we're also called to live in the household of God, to work in the household, to work in the fields, to like have joy and, and creativity with, again, the gifts and callings that we all uniquely have. And here's where we find another identity problem, especially in the older son and the younger son. In the beginning of the story, the younger son acts like he owns the place. I want my inheritance. Give it to me. I'm going to leave. So he acts like he's really the owner. He doesn't want the relationship with the father. He just wants what he can own. And then we see later in the story, the the older son has the same attitude. Like, I've slaved for you. I've done all these things to earn what I want. He's acting like he is the owner or wants to be the owner, not the manager, not the steward. And we are called stewards. We're not slaves. We're stewards. We are stewards who are managing what God has given us. We're working with and for God, restoring wholeness and shalom to the world around us. We see this in the story Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is what many people call like the stewardship commission. Genesis 1, 27 says this, he created humanity in his image. He created the male and female. Their identities as sons and daughters of God. Now, verse 28, look at the stewardship commission. Then God blessed them and gave them this directive, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth. I make you trustees of my estate. So care for my creation. I love that. So care for my creation. We were designed to be cultivators of creation. We're to be co-creators with God. And the cool thing is that we're not designed to be in competition with each other as sons and daughters of God, but to be in collaboration with each other as sons and daughters of God. Different people having different strengths, different perspectives, but working together. You can sense the jealousy between the older and younger brothers. And when we really embrace who we are, that we're totally and utterly loved, not based on our performance, not based on what people say about us, what we've done, our history, all that, our identities in, in God's love, then all of a sudden we become more free to work with God to steward and cultivate the world around us. And that's when we become more like Jesus. The whole goal of becoming is becoming more like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, we become more like the Father. But the cool thing is we're not just becoming a bunch of clones who look exactly like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, we also become more like ourselves. We become more unique in how God has created us. So I want to give you three practical ways of stewarding your journey and also stewarding your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Stewarding our time, our talent, and our treasure. Stewardship of our time. I love uh, Psalm 39, 4. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be and remind me that my days are numbered, like how fleeting my life is. This verse is really getting at prioritization. Help me know how to prioritize my life because I've only got like this much time. And in comparison to all of eternity, I'm like, my life's like this dot on this big line. And on this side of heaven, we have a lot of opportunity to make a difference for God. So we're stewards of the time and energy God has given us. Time and energy are some of the most precious commodities we have. You can make more money and buy back things you've lost, but you can't buy back time and energy. Time and energy are like water. They're going to flow somewhere. Will you tell your time and energy where to go? Or will it tell you? Stewards learn to prioritize their time and their energy around the things that God cares about. 
think of these general areas of your life and think about maybe how you've been prioritizing them in your life. Work, rest or recreation, family, health, sleep, precious sleep, your church family, maybe some hobbies, your own personal worship or personal time with God. Now, there's about 168 hours in a week, give or take a little. Let's assume about 48 hours are spent sleeping. Some of you maybe more, (laughs) some of you maybe a lot less. But that leaves around 120 hours in your week. Let's say you give three to maybe even five hours a week toward your church family for Sunday service, maybe uh, your group. Many people in our culture struggle giving one hour per week to their spiritual family. But if you did give, you know, let's say three to five, this leaves about 115 hours per week for family, work, hobbies, rest, recreation, personal worship, health, and maybe some other miscellaneous things. What I want you to do is sometime this week, write like a, like a circle, just draw a circle and make a pie chart with what your actual weekly time goes to. Think about where your time is flowing, where your energy is flowing you know, on just a normal week. And then look at it and say, are these actually my priorities? Is my time allotment going to what's most important to me, what I feel is most important to God? And then what I want you to do is maybe draw another circle and fill out the life pie chart with the things that you want to prioritize with the time that you want to give them, your preferred priorities. What does that look like in comparison to where you're at? Maybe talk to God about some of these areas. Ask him, how do you want me to prioritize? How do you want me to spend my time? And even ask, Lord, what are you doing in these different areas of my life that I'm unaware of? Help me to steward it. We ought to be stewards of our time and energy. Now, the next one is stewardship of strengths. It's so important. Everybody has unique strength, unique callings and gifts. Just as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good what? stewards of the varied grace of God, 1 Peter 4.10. What is particularly remarkable about utilizing and stepping into your strengths is that they can contribute toward your personal well-being, to the quality of your relationships, and to your community as a whole. So we find three key features are real helpful in finding your top strengths and utilizing your top strengths. We call them the three E's. So here it is. What is essential, what is effortless, and what is energizing? So what is essential? These gifts feel essential to who you are as a person. It's part of what makes you, you. Now, what's effortless? When you enact the strengths and activate them in your life, it feels natural, feels effortless. The last one is energizing. Look for those strengths in those areas of your life that energize you and lift you up, leaves you feeling like joyful and happy maybe even in balance, and continue pursuing those things. Let's steward our gifts together for the Lord. Lastly, let's talk about stewardship of treasure. We receive, manage, and invest the gifts of God. And when it comes to treasure, when it comes to especially to money or finances or, you know, things that God give us that have uh, monetary and maybe real value to us, Um, remembering that we're not the owners. He's the owner of our life and everything in it, everything in our bank account, everything that God has given us. We're the managers, not the owners. So how do we manage that well? 
Matthew 6.21 says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So wherever your treasure goes, your heart flows. In the story of the prodigal son, the brothers had strife because they were trying to own everything. They were kind of fighting over the inheritance, like in this passive aggressive way. Instead of remembering what the father ended up saying at the very end of the story, everything I have is yours. Everything we have is the father's. Everything he owns and gives is available for us to steward. So let's not live out of a a scarcity. Let's live out of generosity and abundance. Let's steward our treasure well. One of the ways we train to be stewards or good managers and not the owner of our life is to join a serve team, like getting our thoughts and mind off ourselves and serving others. When you join a serve team in our church, you you go through a process to where someone actually takes you through your strengths and your gifts and passions and tries to match that with an area of service. And it's so helpful to find like the clarity of how God has wired and gifted and called you. It's one of the key ways that we help people in our church steward their gifts. But not only in the church, it's really a platform that launches them to to knowing better how to use their gifts in their work, in their neighborhood, with their families, really their whole life, Monday through Sunday. Check out this story. The One Child Holiday Party was just an experience that felt like a gift to me. It wasn't just a gift to them. I was a stormtrooper. Aaron talked me into the costume. First, you know, you're a little apprehensive, but when you see the looks on the kids' faces, we had one of the first ones that came in was a three-year-old, little boy. He comes in and he's like, a stormtrooper. And I'm just like waving at him and he's like, pew, 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 pew. And every time he saw me, he'd go, stormtrooper. They just want to be loved. They're scared. They've had a major change in their life. And I know that. I've been there. I was in foster care uh, at a young age. My mother was a drug addict. I never knew my father. And when I was finally picked up by my grandparents, I was very angry. So I would hurt myself. It was just my way of having control because I never felt control. And I felt a lot of anger at God. It wasn't until about the fourth or fifth time at Whitewater that all of a sudden it was like it it turned, like I turned a corner. And I suddenly realized it gives me chills because I hadn't forgiven myself for some of the things I've been through and for the hurt I've been, been through and the hurt I've caused. And when I realized that, that I was holding myself back, that it wasn't God, it was me. I'm stronger because of what I went through, but he never expected me to hold on to it. No more looking back and beating myself up and no more judging myself. You know, I'm, I kept telling everybody that you know, these people judge me, these people, well, no, it's me. It's God has been up there t- shaking his head saying, I'm just waiting, your time is, you're gonna have this moment. And it was, it was, I'm gonna be a manager. <laughs> I'm gonna manage this life and I'm gonna be a Christian and not be afraid to say it. And I'm, I'm no longer broken. And now it's been almost a year, you know, this coming Easter, and 
The change I feel has lightened me. I feel like a, a big weight has been taken off my shoulders. Uh, I'm hoping to get baptized soon. I've never been baptized. It's suddenly important to me because I want, I want my family to know, I want my friends to know that God has impacted me and if you make him a part of your life, it's exciting at what he can do inside you and to those around you. It's deep and I hope more people will, will get that. There's so many broken people out there and it really is only themselves that are holding them back. You know, you can be an eternal victim or you can give it up to God and say, you forgave me, I'm gonna forgive everything that's happened and I'm gonna grow from it. And it's been huge. So I guess it has been pretty recently that I feel like I've had an actual relationship with God. How do you and I turn or return to the Father through Jesus' love? What should we do? I love this passage in the book of Acts. The Apostle Peter is preaching about the love and power of Jesus. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God's son. He's the hero. He's the freer. And then in verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do when we want to come back home? Peter gives the answer. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. So in our story from earlier, come to your senses, leave the pigsty and turn back to God. Go back home. And then Peter goes on to say, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's spirit in your life, your heart leading and guiding you. Verse 39, this promise is to you, to your children, speaking to a lot of Jewish people this time, and to those who are far away. Brothers and sisters from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures who have been far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. God wills that all men and women would come to him. If you're here today and you feel God moving your heart to take a step of faith today, would you just close your eyes and you can pray this with me or you can read this on your own. This is between you and the Lord, but let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, I trust in your love for me. I'm so sorry that I've been following my own path instead of following your path. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my brokenness on the cross. I want you to enter my life and change me at this moment. The best I know how, I give my life to your love and leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome you to the family of God, whether you're turning or returning, like the heaven is rejoicing, our church is rejoicing. And I also want to encourage you with this as another next step that is laid out in the Bible. Notice that Peter says to be baptized after we uh, turn back to God and come home to God. I want to invite you, if you've never been baptized, but you've maybe returned to God or turned to him for the very first time, or you've been thinking about getting baptized for a long time, I want to encourage you to take that step. We've, we're creating an opportunity where you can do that. And here's four reasons to get baptized and really for explanations of what baptism is. 
baptism is identifying your life with Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross and went to the grave and then had new life, there's a symbol of being going under the water and coming up and coming up to new life in Jesus. Second reason is baptism is the symbol of forgiveness and freedom. You're being forgiven and freed from sin. You're also being free, forgiven and freed to live a life that God created you to live. The third reason is baptism is going public with your faith. It's like putting on the jersey, saying what team you're on. And the fourth thing is baptism shows the world whose family you're part of. So when should you be baptized? If you read what Peter said, right after you believe. So you don't have to wait around. You don't have to like do a bunch of things to get real holy and clean on the inside and get your life all together. The Father takes you as you are. What would stop you from being baptized and identifying with God who wasn't afraid and was excited to be identified with bringing you into the family? Hey, Whitewater family. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining one of our home churches, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.